0: All right, listeners, I tell you, it's just a bunch of amazing episodes, and I'm so excited to have this guest on today because I want to get to know about, more about her process. It's not a journey that I've kind of went down in my creative process, and so I want to jump in and get to know a lot more about Jen Hewitt. So welcome, Jen, to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. So I'm going to have all the questions. And I just want to know so much about your process. But first, I want to get to know you a little bit more a little bit more about your story. Um, Kind of were you a creative kid? Did you come from a creative family? And then you know, maybe where you went to college and kind of how you have made this into um, the career that you have being an artist?
1: Yeah, so I'll try to give you the Cliff Notes version of this because otherwise <laughs> I can talk for four hours just about that. Um, but I did come from somewhat of a creative family. So my dad was a hobbyist photographer for years and years. And um, he would actually shoot weddings on the weekends. That's what paid for me to go to private school. Um, but he didn't make it his career until I was in college. He used to manage factories and all those factories in Southern California kept shutting down and he realized the writing was on the wall. So he ended up getting a job as a photographer and that became the job he had for 20 plus years and retired doing just a couple of years ago. So he was always working in our backyard in the garage, working on projects around the house. Um, And he would let us, me and my little brother, he would let us play with the wood, hammer things together. So we were just always making things. Now that said, neither of my parents had graduated from college and they were spending all this money for us to go to Catholic school. So they weren't about to let us go out and become artists. Um, So we were pushed really strongly academically and that was fine because I did well in school. So it wasn't like it; it was encouraged as a way of life, but mm-hmm. more as a hobby. But schoolwork would always come first. Um, so it wasn't really until I was in my early 20s that I started to realize, you know, there's this part of me that I've always loved, um, and I've always wanted to explore more, but I, I've never made a place for it in in my life in any big way, and that was being an artist and working on illustrations um, and making things. And in my early 20s, I decided when when all of my friends were going off and working in startups, because I do live, I live in San Francisco and I went to Berkeley, which is just over the bay here. They were all going and working at, at startups. And I thought, you know what, I want to start my own business. I want to be a designer, but I don't want clients. So I think I'll start a stationary business. And, you know, stationary business is kind of the exact opposite of a tech startup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had that business for years and I was doing all the illustration, all the design, but also I have to say all the sales, all the marketing, unfortunately, all the bookkeeping, all the shipping. Um, so I had to put that aside for a little bit and then get a regular corporate job. And then I somehow found my way back to printmaking, um, which we can talk about further. But was I a creative kid? Yes. Um, Was it something that I ever thought I could make a career of? Probably not. Um, But also, I just didn't have a lot of role models for for artists and designers or even architects um, in my life. And so, you know, I was kind of expected to do the professional thing that the people in my neighborhood did. They were school principals, they were doctors, they were accountants, they were lawyers, anything beyond that. I think I just didn't have a model for that. Yeah. So, and I think a lot of us are the same way, right? Like, unless you grew up with those kinds of role models, you just have no idea.
0: Yeah. You know, that's funny. I think that our parents' generation, it was like that, right? You had a job, but you also, many of them had a hobby. Like, my dad and like had a full-time job. My parents built their house, like, like Mm -hmm. built it themselves, putting up the cabinets themselves and did everything. But it wasn't, you know, that just was their hobby. That was just out of necessity. They paid for it as they went. And same thing. They pushed me to go to college, go to college, go to college, because they hadn't. And I wonder and I'm totally the opposite, Jim. with my kids. Like, I push them so much to find out who they are creatively, also academically. But creatively, I'm like, you know, find out that one thing that makes you happy. Because as you go through life, that one thing is going to be what you turn to to kind of work things out. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so funny. You just told your story. And I'm thinking, yeah, I totally get that. You And I didn't. I didn't have a lot of role models that were in a creative anything.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, other than the art teacher at school,
1: (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) I know. Well, when I told my mom that I was going to major in English in college, she said, well, what are you going to do with that? Teach, be a writer. And, you know, those are things that I've ended up doing. um, But back in the day, that just wasn't something that she saw as financially viable. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, and I don't blame her. I really don't at all. Um, Yeah
0: they they just i mean that generation was different i mean that generation had parents who did save everything because they knew what it was like to go through the you know the depression and not have money and then our parents you know didn't have amazon to order things mm-hmm. i mean it's just a different day and age but yes i i love that you have done all of this and i i love that you also share your journey um going back and forth like i want to be self-employed but also self-employed means that that is inconsistent money and sometimes going back and just having that as a hobby is an okay thing to do as well
1: oh yeah I tell people all the time um not not to quit their jobs and start a business instead get a hobby go on vacation that often often and I've had those moments too where I've thought oh I just need to quit this and start an ice cream business or something like literally I thought that many years ago And in reality, what I needed to do was just take a vacation because what was going on was I didn't like that job that I was in. I was burned out and I needed some perspective and I needed a new, I needed a vacation. I needed a new job. Um, I needed to sort out a few things for myself before I could go back to being, being self-employed.
0: Yeah. And I think that sometimes experience is a way to work through those things, you know, experience of having that bad job. So you know when that you get in that creative one you hold on to it and enjoy it and figure it out a little bit more
1: oh right well I'm 43 now and I gotta say if I have to go back and get a regular full-time job working for someone else I would be very sad so <laughs> I hope to do this until the day I die this <laughs> this this is my long-term plan is yeah. to is to be self-employed to be an artist um to do all different kinds of interesting things with the rest of my life yeah um and not that working for someone else full time is not an interesting or fulfilling thing. It's just not for me.
0: Yeah, no, I totally get that. Like, I totally understand that. Um, so one thing that you do is a little bit different creativ- create- creatively. Sorry, I couldn't get that out right <laughs> um, creatively <laughs> than I do. So your latest book, which is from Roost Books, and I will brag on Roost Books right now, that <laughs> I love their books. I think they are just a phenomenal publisher, um, is Print, Pattern, and Sew, where you go through how you your process of sewing projects is. You don't just um, pull from your stash necessarily like a lot of, you know, myself and listeners do, but you actually make your textiles with block printing, and then you put them into things that you sew. And it was just so interesting to read your book and to see your process. And I would like for you to tell us a little bit about how that has it always been that way? Or how did you how did you learn that this was something that you really enjoyed?
1: Oh, so it hasn't always been that way. I, I too have a large stash of fabrics that I buy, um, and that sit there for years, but I originally started sewing with fabric that I bought and I was not able to find a lot of fabric that I really loved. And it's partly because when I started sewing, um, it was a lot harder to find good fabric online, um, there just wasn't, people weren't selling fabric yet online in the way that they are now. Yeah. And here in, in San Francisco, where rent is so incredibly high, fabric stores just can't survive. They don't get enough volume of sales to pay their rent. So there weren't a ton of options for me for buying fun fashion fabric. So I could buy something that was a plain unprinted piece of fabric. And I figured out, oh, I can actually print on this. I had done a project in 20, I think 2014 called 52 Weeks of Printmaking, and I had been screen printing up to that point, and what I wanted to do was explore other types of print media, so block printing, etching, lithography, um, and do a different project every single week, and it would just be a simple print on paper or fabric. Well, I waited to the last minute every single week because I was still <laughs> working part-time at that point. So I would do the quickest, easiest thing. And I'm a big fan of doing the quickest, easiest thing. If you just need to get something done, I would carve a block and, um, out of a soft carving medium, which is what I teach in the book. And then I would print it on a piece of fabric and voila, I had my print for the week. Well, I quickly figured out that I could actually apply that to printing on yardage. So I could block print on yardage and use that yardage to make my own clothes. And that way I would have the print and the color and the scale that I wanted. Um, So the following year, 2015, I embarked on a project called Print Patterns Sew, which is the project that my book is named after. And that year I block printed yardage every single month, and then I sewed it into a different garment each month. So at the end of the year, I had 12 different hand-printed garments, and I couldn't I couldn't just futz around and say, "Oh, this month I'm going to do a scarf or I'm going to do a t-shirt." It actually had to be something that was a piece of clothing and something that I had actually sewn myself. So, no, no printing, <laughs> no printing one print on a pre-sewn t-shirt. That wouldn't have passed muster. Um, and so, yeah, that's what that's what led to my book. But I really loved doing that project because I think I think we think that. Things are more difficult than they really are, Um, at least as you get older. I think when you're young, you think everything's easy, so you just dive into it and you make all the mistakes, which is totally fine. But with some experience, we often make things harder in our heads than they are in reality. Um, And I use the example that year for 11 months, I'd never sewn an an invisible zipper ever, ever. I was always intimidated by them. Don't ask me why, because now I can sew an invisible zipper and it's the easiest thing in the world. But I went for years without sewing an invisible zipper. And then that year, I did all these workarounds on projects so that I wouldn't have to sew an invisible zipper. I do that. I sewed, right? Like I did a skirt that had the elastic waist. Um, I did a wrap skirt that required, I kid you not, three and a half yards of fabric. <laughs> Um, yep (laughs) right like if i just sewn the darn invisible zipper i would not have to block print three and a half yards of fabric um so but then finally at the end of the year i thought this is ridiculous i'm just going to sew the the damn invisible zipper in there i'm going to get the right zipper foot and i'm going to sit down and i'm going to do it and it will be it'll be fine if i mess up who cares well i did it and let me tell you it was easy and I think that's kind of a metaphor for this whole project. It's not so much that it's easy; it's just that you have to get through. You have to get through the barrier you're put up there in front of yourself that says, "I can't do this," and actually do it, and then it's fine, right? Yeah. it's fine.
0: So, yeah. do you feel like you <clears throat> work really well, kind of um, challenging yourself to something like this, like having that challenge of, you know, the fifty-two week project and then this project? It, because i do really well with deadlines like Mm -hmm. if you tell me a deadline i will (laughs) i will do everything i can to make that if you do not give me one then like that that means it's an open and it can be open for a long time
1: oh i'm all about the constraints i had a regular job for so many years and I worked with clients and let me tell you a deadline motivates you to get stuff done than a, than a deadline right yeah. Like we can say we all have that internal feeling of accomplishment um, and that's what we look to but but that's not going to get you to the deadline. The deadline's gonna get you to the deadline.
0: right, right. yeah. Um, okay, so your book goes through kind of the process and and how this project worked for you and how someone like myself can get the book and do it. Um, You go through the different ways that you sketch out things, which your sketches look amazing. Like, I'm not going to lie. When I look at your (laughs) sketches, I'm like, "Mm, I might need to print that out of the book because it's (laughs) never going to look like that if I do it. But how you sketch it out and then how that goes to um, how you put it into the soft carving medium and then how you do different there are different ways that you can block print there's the you know how you can do it like it's a brick where it's Mm -hmm. kind of set offset and how you do it in a line how you do a border all those things so can you explain a little bit of that process before you even get to the point of making the fabric to make the garment
1: Yes. So I do all of my sketches on paper first. Um, I like to say you work out your issues on paper and not on the block because if you go and draw directly onto the block, you're going to make mistakes. Um, so, and you can't erase. So, or you can, but it, it ends up looking kind of janky and hard to follow. So instead I like to draw on paper and I like to draw my my final image exactly as I want it to appear so that there are no questions in my mind when I go to transfer that to the block of how it's going to look when I print. Um, that's often, I teach a class on a regular basis and that's often the hardest part for people to, to get through um, because sometimes you just want to rush those drawing and go directly to the block, but you, you need to just get it out on paper. Um, also, your block has to be the mirror image of what you want the final image to look like. So you've got to draw it exactly the way you want it to look on paper. And then when you do the transfer, it's really easy to do the transfer um, to make it look like to, to do the mirror image transfer. And then you spend some time carving. Um, you know, I, I'm a fast carver, so I can it can take me like anywhere from 20 minutes to four hours to carve a block, depending on the level of, um, detail. And then I do some test prints and test prints are really important because that's how I figure out if there are any mistakes or where I need to clean up before I go to print on my final piece of fabric.
0: Like clean and- up the, the, the block where you've carved mm-hmm. it. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, carve away a little bit more. Once you take something away, you can't put it back, but often there's so much that you need to take away um, that you haven't necessarily seen when you're doing the carving. So inking it up and just test printing it on some fabric, some inexpensive fabric, that's often, that's the way to go. Um, And then from there, I like to do something I call, again, I'm from California, so it's a little bit woo-woo, but thinking with your hands, which is, just getting messy and having fun and not thinking about not thinking too hard about placement or color and just, you know, being like a kid and printing with your block in different ways on an inexpensive piece of fabric. I usually use muslin or the backside of something that um, I printed and didn't work out. And I figure out what I like from there. So once I've played around, I take a look at it and I say, you know, I like this color. I like this layout. I like the spacing. And then I'll write that all down um, and then take those measurements and those colors and print yardage on my good piece of fabric. But usually to me, the biggest part or the the part that takes the least amount of time is the printing the yardage. Because mm-hmm. by the time you get there, you've already figured out, you know, this is how I want to do it. And it's, it's getting to that point that ends up being um, the most work, but also I got to say the most fun because you get to play.
0: Yeah, and I would think that it would be, I don't know, just very therapeutic. Number one, to carve, a, mm-hmm. you know, the block would be so satisfying. I mean, I don't know why it would be, but I just know that if I ever picked up a carver, I would probably be the overcarver because it would just be so much fun to do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, then you get to play around. Do you want to make this a border print? Do you want it to all be in a line? Do you want to offset it? Do you want it to, you know, be in a molehill pattern? You know, like there are all these different things that you could, that you have to probably work out in your brain before you go to the fabric that you really want. And do you try and have what you're going to make with that fabric in mind so you kind of know what, what the final use of that is going to be?
1: Oh yeah, okay. um, I learned that because actually learned not not through printing my own fabric, but through um, developing way too much of a bought store a store bought fabric uh, stash. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a couple of boxes of fabric that I still have not sewn with that I bought um, because I like them because they were on sale. You you know what it's like. Yeah. So <laughs> um, with block printed fabric, I decided that if I'm going to spend all that time carving and printing and I need to have an end use in mind because I don't want it to just end up in a box somewhere in my closet.
0: Right. And and not because directionally the way that you print it is going to matter when you start making things like garments or Mm -hmm. how big it is or I mean there's just all kinds of things you know like if you make a shirt like you really have to think about that print because you don't want it to land in a in the wrong spot or a skirt you know like I mean (laughs) there are a lot of things that you have to think about I mean even in printed fabrics sometimes I think this is going to be great and then I put it in a garment and I'm like what was I thinking
1: oh yeah all the time, all the time that happens with, uh, with fabric I buy from the store. Um, it's also when you buy fabric from a store and if you don't have enough, you can go out and buy more when you don't print enough fabric, it's really hard to color match. So, oh, yeah. um, you've got to do it all in one fell swoop.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now what about, Have you figured out um, almost like what you'd like to make your blocks out of? Do you kind of go for more nature-inspired or maybe just simple geometric designs? How do you – or is that a personal taste, like everybody would be different in what they would want their block to be? Mm. Or, you know, things that translate well to the block printing?
1: Yeah, so it really is what people – It really is a personal taste issue, but there are some constraints because we are using these um, these soft blocks. Um, They don't hold really fine lines well, so it's hard to do an outline block, um, one that just has super fine lines um, and a ton of detail. So that's one thing I always caution people about. um, Try to stay away from that. And then it's also hard to what we call register colors, so align them precisely so try to avoid doing that. Um, I can do it. And a lot of times because I'm a screen printer, I'm going to pause for a second. Um, we've got a (laughs) siren going by. I I love this. That That is so my house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I live right between two fire stations and down the street from a hospital. Oh geez.
0: Yeah. You do have it way worse than I do. (laughs) Uh,
1: Okay. I think it's passed. Um, So what was I saying? The last thing I said had something to do with outline, personal taste. Let me just think this through. Um, Oh, so a lot of the work that I sell, or actually all of the work that I sell, is screen printed um, rather than block printed. And it actually has to do with kind of the look and feel of screen printing that I I like for certain types of projects. And also um, because it's just much easier and more cost effective to do production printing, with screen printing. Yeah. Um, but often people will see my screen printed work and think that it's block printed and get frustrated because their own block printed work doesn't look like my screen printed work. So I'm often having a caveat, um, everything in my classes with, okay, so you're trying to do something that you can only achieve with screen printing. Here's what works really well with block printing, especially when you're just starting out. So. Big blocks of color, detail that's carved away rather than detail that remains. Um, geometrics are fantastic if you don't think you you can draw. I mean, I'll say I think everybody can draw, but if you think you can't draw, then I'm not going to argue with you. So yeah. just work on some shapes. Um, and I think always, always, always go with your own point of view and your own personal taste. So if you're not a floral person, don't try to do florals. Um And if you don't like bold geometrics, then don't go with bold geometrics. I think you can just do, you can do what you want. Again, my motto is no one's going to die. So just do what you want. No one's going to die. No one's going to judge you. This isn't for a grade. This is, this is a project for you.
0: (laughs) That is, I love that you said that. I say that to my kids all the time. My perfectionist daughter is like, but what if I don't get an A? And I'm like, guess what? Nothing. And she looks at me like, What? I'm like, Yeah, nothing. <laughs> nothing happens. So same thing, nothing happens. You just start over and you keep going.
1: Exactly. And that's years ago, because I'm also a recovering perfectionist. And it took it took me years to get through this. Like I figured it out in my mid-30s and I actually got an assignment from my lovely therapist who I met just that day. And she said, Okay, you're a perfectionist you need to go out there and consciously make a mistake and see what happens and report back to me. Oh. So the next week she said, what happened? And I said, nothing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> that is so funny. Yes, I do those. I, I am my child's therapist. I do the same thing. <laughs>
1: Well, good. You're saving her a lot of money down the road.
0: I, well, my my background is counseling, but I really feel like I don't use that in my every day. But um, I kind of feel like I, God knew that I needed that because I have her. <laughs> and so I need to be hers. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so, um, so in your book, you have garments that you write so you can make this fabric and then make your own garments. And I have to say, listeners. I know so many of you say, I'm not going to show, I'm not going to sew up my own garments. It's very intimidating to me. It's a 3D instead of a 2D. I don't get it. I feel like the simplicity of what is in this book is so appealing to me. It's not, I want you to make a jacket and it's going to have all these crazy pockets and it's going to, you know, be biased this and all. Like it's just a simple, jacket a simple dress a simple scarf a simple shirt but having all of these basics in your wardrobe you can build on Mm -hmm. yeah
1: I wanted something some garments that just were not um that weren't fussy right right right, not fussy yeah Mm -hmm. no weird seams no princess seams I didn't want anything to break up the print
0: yeah which one um I have to say your short sleeve dress and that blue with that print with the tulip, oh man, that's a stunner.
1: Well, thank you. That's my favorite pattern from the book right now. I made when I went on book tour, I knew that I had to bring only clothes that I had made myself. So I made that dress. I think I have that dress in four different prints now. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's an easy sew, and it's got pockets, and it's just the right length for me. Although, you know, you can lengthen it or shorten it. But for me, it's maybe a three-hour sewing project, so it's pretty simple.
0: Yeah, and the jacket, I mean, I have to say, totally wearable. You could totally get crazy quilters with this, mm-hmm. right? You could make this into something really fun Or you can make it into something super simple, but it's, it's a wearable piece that I don't think that you overdid. Does that make sense? Like, I don't feel like it's undoable for someone who wants to make a garment for themselves.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. In fact, I had someone on Amazon, my one bad review on Amazon said these patterns are too simple. (laughs) I was like, yes, (laughs) you you got it. They're too simple.
0: (laughs) But I I, there is so I have talked so many people lately that the simplicity is what we crave almost like you feel like in this Instagram world that you need the more, the more, the more, the more. But I think in all honesty, when we do those simple projects, those are the ones that we use and we gravitate towards in our everyday use of what we are making.
1: I agree. And I have to say my, my granny and my great granny sewed, and they were sewing, well, my great granny, I think could so from just taking apart a garment and putting it back together. But, um, they were using store-bought patterns that just assumed you knew everything. everything. So when you get <laughs> everything, right. So when you get to my generation and we haven't had home ec and my mom didn't sew and my granny was a teacher, so she had no time to teach me any of this stuff. Um, the, you get to my generation, we look at those patterns and we say, yeah, I don't get it. I don't know what they mean here, um, especially when you're talking about the big the big four, the big five pattern companies, so uh, Simplicity, Butterick, all of those, and then you come to these independent sewing pattern designers, and not only are their, um, their patterns understandable to the layperson, but also... They've got sew-alongs on their blogs and they show you how to do it, right? And so I think that by making things simple and easy to understand, you are actually opening up a whole new market of people who thought this isn't for me, right? And now they say, oh, actually I could do this because this seems really simple when you break it down this way.
0: Yes. And I talked to a quilter the other day and, um, I said, but don't you think that everybody knows what a half square triangle is? I mean, like I feel so, I feel the imposter syndrome when I like go to talk about that. And she's like, no, not my audience. I'm gearing towards the people who haven't sewn yet or are just starting and they don't know anything. Mm -hmm. I think as as people who sew, once you get into it, you f- you just assume that everybody knows everything. Not the case. And not the case <laughs> for a really good quilter who's never made a garment or vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it's important. And let's be honest, in our day-to-day, the basics are going to be the things that we Reach for in our closets, or it is for me the basics. I mean, do I like a good, you know, dress up outfit? Yes, but in my basic everyday life, it, you know, it is like you said, these very simple garments that I pull to wear because that's what I feel really comfortable in.
1: Hmm. Yep. Nothing fussy. I mean, there are certainly some some women in particular who like to go out and like you know if they've got the cinched in waist and the perfect heels. That's not me. So. Um, yeah, I I like something that's form fitting, but not too form fitting, something that's pretty, but not too precious. Like, that's how I feel about a lot of the patterns in my book.
0: Yeah, yeah. I have to say that the cap sleeve dress is, I mean, you could do this dress in so many different things, right? You could Mm -hmm. definitely fancy that up with a good border print. If you wanted to, you could, I mean, there's just so many different things that you could do with that particular um but like you said not too form-fitting just enough just enough for you to feel really comfortable in it you can lengthen it you can shorten it to however you want and it's such a good staple such a phenomenal staple in cold weather you can put a cardigan and a scarf there's just so many different things and that's one thing i really liked about this book i like that you didn't get crazy with the patterns i like that they were simple easy to do wearable pieces that Say you didn't want to block print your fabric. Mm -hmm. You could still do these patterns in your everyday fabric. And then Mm -hmm. I bet when you did that, you would say, oh, but what if I block printed it? Like I feel when I've looked at the book, I thought about those people who would make the pattern in their everyday fabric and then go, oh, but what if I challenged myself to be more like Jen and use those suggestions that were in the front part of the book? did you think about that juxtaposition because it is two, two sections of the book, right? You could use them Mm -hmm. separately or you could use them together.
1: Oh, I definitely thought about that. Um, in fact, I, I've sewn many clothes for myself using those patterns, not using my block printed fabric. Um, you know, so I'm a, I'm a classic example of, of that. And I don't think, you know it's interesting i think a lot of people buy the book cuz they want a block print or they buy the book because they want the patterns they don't necessarily buy the book cuz they want both. both um so it's almost like you're getting two books in one but i just felt like i couldn't do a whole book about block printing on fabric and printing up some yardage and then say okay we're done yeah <laughs> nothing to see here go out I, and do your own thing <laughs>
0: i really love that you did the projects. I really love the projects that you have in this book. I, there are bags, there are clothing, there, um, it's a scarf. You even do one of your bags has uh, little leather handles on it, which totally like ups the game of it. Right. Makes it look uh, just a you yep. know, that hint of just a little bit extra with those leather handles. Um, it was such a good variety and, I don't know. What was one of your favorite things in the book that, um, you know, one of your favorite patterns in the book that you feel Mm -hmm. like you go to over and over?
1: Well, for the clothes that I wear, I wear that short sleeve dress the most. I actually need to sew some up in some winter fabrics because it's getting a little bit chilly here. Um, and For the projects, the other, the non-clothing projects, there's a cross-body bag there that you can adjust by tying, um, by tying the strap. I've made that a number of times for gifts. gifts. So um, that's one I use a lot. And that's also, for me at least, it's a fairly quick sew. But if you're a quilter, it's also a quick sew because it's just a bunch of squares. Honestly, it's a bunch of squares.
0: And it's so cute too. I mean, you could really do so much with that pattern. And it's so cute with the little knot too. It gives it that little chicness that you want i love that
1: Mm -hmm. oh my mom saw it she said oh i want one of those so i just gave her the one from the book
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love that um so does does your mom i mean is she uh do you guys get to be creative together does you know that's the one fun part about my you know now that i'm a mom and i'm a maker in my own right i feel like i'm dragging my mom back into it. Um, (laughs) do you get to, does your mom come over and do you guys block print or do anything like that? Or, or she just,
1: Mm. you know, my poor mom is convinced she's not creative. Um, and that none of this stuff is for her. And I can only imagine what was said to her in school to make her think that I've never really delved into it with her, but she is honestly, one of the best cooks I know, and she's almost an intuitive cook, right? So how can you think you're not creative, right? And you go to a restaurant, (laughs) you try something and you can figure out what's in it and then go home and pretty much recreate it, except make it better. Like that's my mom. She can do that. So a lot of the time that I've spent with her when we are being quote unquote creative is me shadowing her around the kitchen and figuring out what, how she's putting things together. So my mom's from the Philippines um, and a lot of the food that she makes, like there are no recipes for it. Right. No. So I've just got yeah. to follow her around and I will call her and I'll say, I want to make this. She'll say things like, yeah, so put in a handful of this and a couple of grabs of that. I'm like, mom, those are not, <laughs> those are not cooking terms. I don't know what you're trying to tell me. Um, so she'll say, yeah, Put two two teaspoons of soy sauce in two teaspoons or, t- or do i mean two tablespoons let me think about this um but for her it's just so intuitive and something that she does every day so she doesn't think about it um, and she loves to cook that is her love language so you know she likes you when she brings you a pot of something or you know I've had so many of my friends have had kids and she'll show up at their house with a huge dish of, of noodles, um, to tide them through the next 10 years. <laughs> oh
0: my gosh, that is yes. awesome. And that's so it's, funny. My mom makes the best, like, turkey and dressing, but ju- the dressing part of it, no recipe. Mm. I mm-hmm. seriously put it in the freezer when she makes it just so I can have it because I don't know how to make it. She She's the same way. Just a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but same thing. A phenomenal thing. She's not creative. Phenomenal cook and Hey, but that's the best, Jen. We get we're like, oh, let me taste that and see if it's okay. Right,
1: that's and true. Take it home,
0: <laughs> um, especially after a day of being, you know, in the studio and like really working on something. Oh, it's so nice. Yeah, to have that homemade. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really just fell in love with this book, and I fell in love. I. It's, it's fun to look at books and I get a lot of books for the podcast. Um, but to me, I, I just, I know this is in two sections, but for me, it just made so much sense that you have the projects that you can use these because, you know, for me, I'm thinking, but what if I do block print this fabric? How am I going to use it? That would have been my question, right? But your book totally answered that. Here are some projects that you can use and it totally made sense for me and I think it's such a well done book um and I can only imagine coming to one of your you know you said you had to travel around for the book I can only imagine how fun that was to see it out in the wild but also show up and you know with the things that you have in the book ah like I'm I'm a little (laughs) jealous that I wasn't anywhere around to attend.
1: Oh, yes, I did bring them to, um, I couldn't travel everywhere with them, but in Los Angeles and here in the Bay area, I did bring a bunch of the clothes and I had to put tags on them that said not for sale because (laughs) I learned the hard way. I had a show a few years ago, um, at a gallery in upstate New York of the clothes, not from the book, but from the print pattern sew project. And they were hanging in a gallery with an explanation, explanation of the project, Um, And people kept trying to buy them and try them on. So I had to actually have the gallery put up some signs that said not for sale. And people were so confused. So this time around, I made sure to have that front and center. These are just examples. Um, (laughs) Don't walk
0: off with any of them. (laughs) That is so funny. Um, Okay, so I am a visual learner. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I look at anything in a book and think I can do that. But it really helps me to see someone doing it to see the process to hear them and you have a creative bug class and it, it is not it is the leather handle bag but you talk a little bit about this and I think creative bug does an awesome job of their classes so um, actually so much so that I make my
1: kids go and Creative bug all the time and watch <laughs> classes <laughs> yes. it's a thing actually it's one of the higher higher use patterns is parents putting their kids in front of a creative bug and because it's much better than regular tv oh yeah yeah yeah.
0: my my youngest wanted to learn how to watercolor and I was like okay see if there's something and she watched the whole class um but tell us a little bit about your class just in case anybody is like me and more of a visual and kind of wants to get this you know worked out in their head a little bit before they Mm -hmm. dive in um tell us a little bit about the class
1: Yes, so I have three different classes on Creative Bug. Uh, two of them are on hand stamping, which is a little bit different from block printing. Um, and then one is screen printing. And so it's not quite the same. It doesn't go as in-depth as the book does because right. you're not actually carving anything. You're just cutting things away. But this is also a great thing to do with kids. Um, and then you're mounting you're mounting the, the actual blocks onto rubber stamp, um, wood rubber stamp handles. So it's great for small hands. And you're just using some fabric paint that you can buy from a fabric store, or craft store, um, and using that to as your ink. And just printing on, we have, I think I have two classes that are, one is, well, both of them are bags. One is one that has, um, that is a really simple tote bag that has French seams, so you don't need a serger, there's no lining, um, and simple leather handles that you rivet on. Um, and you just print a little bit of fabric, not even a yard, to to create that pattern, to create that bag. And then the other one is a small coin purse that is round at the bottom. And it's also the same idea, just stamping with a really simple shape. Um, but it's a great way to get yourself kind of in the habit of of printing on fabric and making mistakes and having fun. And then from there, you can go and do my book, which is a lot more complex and gets way more into the math of things, um, and actually designing and carving, but it's a good, those creative bug classes are really good kind of introductory level. Let's have fun. Don't think too hard about this classes.
0: Yeah, definitely. And hands-on classes. Um, I'll link to your class page in the show notes because you have some dates, um, in 2019 where you will be teaching some and if you're in the area where she's teaching you could sign up and maybe get to meet you in person and do some hands-on because there is nothing better than taking a hands-on class nothing.
1: Oh and I love teaching hands-on. I love working with people um, meeting them where they are and working with them to get them to where um, they're able to execute the design they want to execute. It's really it's really a fun experience. I promise. I'm a very nice, gentle teacher.
0: (laughs) I can imagine you have a very soothing voice, so I can imagine that (laughs) you are just such an awesome teacher. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, I know listeners are like, you haven't even gotten to her fabric line for cotton and steel. I'm so (laughs) sorry. Um, so tell us a little bit about your fabric line with cotton and steel and kind of how that came about and, and tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yes. I have a small collection for cotton and steel. It's part of what they used to call their cotton and steel friends, um, line. So before me, there was one other artist who had done a collection. His name is Christian Robert Robinson, and he's a children's book illustrator and writer. Yep. Um, but I had, uh, I did a small capsule collection of 22 pieces. So 11 designs in two different colorways each. I think it's 22. And, Right when I was turning in my book manuscript, this is how things, how crazy things are, how things happen. Melody Miller, who was the founder of Cotton and Steel, um, she sent me an email and said, I don't know if you know who I am, but of course I know who she is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I run this uh, fabric company called Cotton and Steel and I've been admiring your work for a while and would love to have you be a part of our Cotton and Steel and Friends collection. Would you be interested? And I thought, well, hell yeah, because I've only been waiting for this for years. Like yeah, when right. they started, I thought, <laughs> now this is a company I want to design fabric for. Um, so I said, of course. And it was the quickest process. I think she contacted me in June, and by mid-July we had figured out what the designs were going to be. And by mid-August she had sent me, um, she'd sent me printouts. So wow. for me to do color, to do any color, commentary on color. Um, and we were choosing colors at that point. Um, it was a very, very fast process. And then we had to wait a year. Uh, but, but it was, it, it was this amazing experience and I used, I didn't create anything really new for that collection. It was work that I had been doing since probably 2013. So a lot of my, my favorites, um, I was able to digitize and then um, lay them out so that they could repeat so you could print them on fabric. But a lot of this work was stuff that I've done by hand and either screen printed or block printed over the years. And it doesn't look like your standard fabric collection because most of the work is so different from each other. Um, But something ties it together. I'm not quite sure what it is yet that ties everything together. But there is definitely there is definitely a look and a texture and a layering to to that collection that I'm really pleased with because it it matches the texture and the layering of the work that I do by hand
0: mm-hmm. yeah it does have a very layered look to it um and let's just say Melody is the she's not only like the sweetest person but she is a fierce
1: businesswoman oh she is amazing um it's just such a pleasure to work with her, and I was telling someone that everything I've learned about about fabric design, I've pretty much learned from her and from her her feedback to the manufacturers on um, on color and registration, just things that I wouldn't necessarily think about. But you know, you see Melody, and she's like tiny, and she has pink hair, and I think people miss uh, uh, they underestimate her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's just one of the smartest, savviest ladies out there.
0: Totally agree with you. She is so incredibly savvy. I, and I'm so excited to see what happens um, with no. them coming up. I know something's going to happen at Market. Like, it n- has to. And They're leading up too much for this. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm really excited to see where she goes. And, I mean, how cool for you to, I mean, lessons from the best. I mean, you know, if you're going to learn from anybody, that is so cool. And I think it was it was fun to see your designs translated into fabric. Like you said, it it shows that layering effect that you do um, on your handwork, but in a totally different you know, context of fabric that goes out to the masses. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite print of all of those?
1: Oh, my gosh. It's hard to choose. It's like choosing your favorite child. I Um, know, but I like to do that to people for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) It changes from day to day. Um, You know, for in the beginning, I think my two favorites, my favorite was the uh, Super Bloom print, which is it comes in a pink and blue and a green and kind of a taupe color and it just looks like, it's, it's a flower, but it looks almost like a starburst, yep. and so, love that one, um, and then another one that I call the headlands print, which is just overlapping mountains, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I love that one, so I made a lot of clothes out of those in the very beginning, and then I've kind of moved on to a couple of different ones, the ones that are a lot more, I mean, I say a lot more abstract, but the ones that i just mentioned super bloom that's pretty abstract too um there yeah i've really been into the ones that have much smaller marks like a lot of mark making yeah, um like aerial one that that
0: was aerial i love view, that one oh,
1: I yeah. love that one. And that that was actually a screen print I did years ago. People kept asking me to bring back that bag. And I was like, you know what? That was 2013. It's been five years. I'm done. Um, <laughs> but now the fabric's out, and so people can make their own. And then um, also the avenues, which are the dots. I love, love, love that one with the gold on top, the pink and the cream yeah. and the gold. Oh, Um I'm scared to cut into that. I washed it and it's all ironed, and I thought I was going to make a skirt, and then I just pulled back and said, "No, am I sure that's what I want to do with this? Like, I only have five yards of each, which means I have 110 yards. So, who am I kidding? I have so much fabric. Right. What if I cut into this (laughs) and I don't love it? Oh, then I'm out. I'm out of three yards. Ah, (laughs) that's so
0: funny. But so true. I mean, I'm laughing, but we all have been there. I bet listeners are going, "Yep, yep," I know what yep. that feels like. I mean, I have <laughs> all this fabric, but I'm really scared to cut into that. Oh, um, and it's such a silly fear. I know, so silly. I mean, really, you could go buy some online if you needed to, but you know, it's just uh Um, I I would think that it would be, it would be, you know, like for you, you do so many things that are, um you know, one time and done things, you know, you make a piece of fabric, that's unique. And that is the only fabric that looks like that. And to then go into making where you have this line that is out to the masses, I would think that would be so interesting, because now you're seeing other people use your fabrics in probably ways that
1: you never dreamt of. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm not a quilter. Um, I, I think I've tried. And one of these days I'll probably sit down and actually make a really good concerted effort to quilt. Um, I'm just not as precise. People will laugh, but I'm not as precise in, in, in my measurements as many quilters are. Um, but So it's really fun to see that fabric show up in quilts. Mm-hmm. I, I love seeing how these prints that are really, I don't know, textural end up in quilts, especially since a lot of quilting, cotton tends to be very... It's very vectory and very line. It's very line driven, um, and often that artwork can feel kind of flat. And so, to see my very textured prints show up in something where they're unexpected has been really amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. I would think so. Mm-hmm. I think it would be really interesting to. I mean, because there are so many different creatives, I think of buying fabric and you know making a quilt or a garment but I mean out Mm -hmm. there in the masses that is only like the beginning right I mean there are so many different artists out there that use fabric in different ways Mm -hmm. it would be fun to see that translation
1: uh yeah it's pretty amazing
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean I I love it and I I I love the collection I, I think what I'm really drawn to are your colors your use of Um, mixing colors and, and just your colors in general. Like I'm I'm drawn to your blues. I love your blues so very much. But then again, I see how you integrate that peach with your, with the orange. I love that. I I don't know that I don't put that together a lot in my everyday makes, but when I see your Mm -hmm. fabric having those colors, it makes me want to do something with peach and with orange and gray and white. It's just so striking.
1: I, I love the combination of peach and like an orange or gold color. I don't know why. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's kind of a garish color combination, to be honest. It's like mixing red and pink. It's just, it's not something you would think to do because it might look a little bit tacky. And right, so right, I, I'm working hard on taking the tacky factor out, <laughs> uh, but you do you I, do a great yeah. job. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, I like really weird color combinations. I don't know why, but that's what I tend to be drawn to.
0: Yeah, I like it because it, it gets me out of my own creative rut a lot of times when I see, you know, designers like yourself going outside of my norm and, and it makes me really challenge myself. Um, I, I have to say, like, I feel like listeners, you have to check out Jen, like, you just have so many different facets of your, your work. I mean, you have the book, you have classes, you have your fabric line, you just do so many different things. It's so very interesting to me to, to see how you have as an artist. um, I just talked to someone and she said, you know, it's just about the different streams of income. It's just about Mm -hmm. diversifying yourself and that's how you make it work. Have you found that um, as a business person, that that is the way that kind of evens it out and makes that consistency
1: of income. That is absolutely true. You have to have multiple forms of income, When you're an artist, um, because often art sales are not going to do it for you. And I do a lot of work by hand and I'll sell my screen printed work. But that is so incredibly labor intensive that, you know, there's a limit to how much I can do. And I don't want to be pricing a tea towel at $50 per tea towel. So I... I have to be mindful of how much I can charge for my work, but that also means there's a limit to how much I can earn on just that one thing. So teaching is great because I can teach and pay my rent. Um, so if I just do that once a month, then I'm, I'm fine. My rent's paid. And then I also have licensing money coming in now. Um, and that's really nice because that starts to feel like passive income because I've already done the work and right. now it's just coming in every month. Um, And then I also have some small product sales that I'll do. Like I have a calendar for 2019 that I need to send to the printer that I'm not printing. I just designed with the help of a graphic designer. And I'll have some new products for next year that I'll also have manufactured for me. So keeping a mix of things so that you don't burn out on any one thing. But also if, if one thing goes south or if you decide to change it up. So I will be reducing my teaching starting the middle of next year. I'll have something else that can pick up the slack for that. And that's really really important as as a business person, especially as an artist.
0: Yeah. And I think it sometimes it's really hard to wrap your brain around how to do that as a creative or that's been my experience, how mm-hmm. to figure out what works, what doesn't. And, you know, I think it's probably just an experimentation of doing all the different things that you just said and finding the ones that make you really happy or the ones that work financially and kind of making a good mixture of that. Um, gosh, and teaching too. I mean, I, I have to say that anytime I'm able to teach It's so much fun to see someone else learn what I do in my everyday that is my every normal. You know, like that is just who I am and taking it and putting their own spin on it. And it's just electrifying almost to be in those classes.
1: It is. I agree with you on that. I feel like I end up seeing so many more possibilities um, when you're working with people who have no preconceptions about what the limitations are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And then you, in turn, or I do, in turn, take that back, and it charges me. It charges mm-hmm. me as a creative, and I think of the different things that I can do. And I, I really love it. I love to teach. And if you're listeners, if you're anywhere close, go take one of Jen's classes because I tell you, there is just nothing better than being one-on-one with an instructor mm-hmm. and something I just can't imagine how much fun it is to to carve those um blocks and then be able to put them on fabric and to make a textile those of us who sew that has to be the number one fun thing um to just create your own textile so I'm excited that you came on the podcast I am like so excited to explore more of this and to see more of what comes from you so Jen I cannot say thank you enough for coming on the podcast and having oh my goodness
1: Thank you for having me. It was such it was such a pleasure. And I can't believe we've already spoken for an hour and it feels like it's flown by. <laughs> I know.
0: I know. It's so much fun when that happens though. Um, it really is. And I think that is the one reason I wanted to have the podcast is because your process is completely different than mine, but I learned so much from other makers and I learned so much of how I can do things differently and and, you know, it's just learning. It's just hearing somebody else in in their creative life. And it's inspiring.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thank you for having me on and introducing your your listeners to me.
0: Yeah. So go uh, check out the show notes, listeners. Like I said, I will have links to everything that we talked about. And make sure you go pick up Print Patterns so you will not be disappointed. I promise you will not be disappointed. So thank you again.
1: Thank you.